0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Food, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Amir Sayadabdi, the host of the channel. Today, I have the pleasure of talking to Dr. Gina Hunter about her book, Edible Insects A Global History, which was published in 2021 by Reaction Books. Gina is Associate Professor of Anthropology in the Department of Sociology and Anthropology at Illinois State University. She has published research on women's reproductive health, foodways and food systems, the ethnography of the university, and pedagogy and research methods. At Illinois State, she is Director of Office of Student Research and Co-Director of the Food Studies Minor and is affiliated with the Latin American and Latino Studies Program. Her regional specialty is Brazil and has twice led a study abroad program in Brazil. Gina, thanks for accepting my invitation and welcome to the show.
0: Hello, Amir, and thank you. I'm, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to talk to you.
1: Yeah, same here. Uh, to start off, uh, could you tell us a bit about your uh, background and how you ended up as an anthropologist of food, Gina?
0: Ah, well, um, interestingly, my I guess I came to the university and um, began studying,, uh, well, I studied a wide variety of things. I didn't settle on anthropology until my senior year of undergraduate, which is not common, but it's at least possible in our educational system is not that not the case everywhere that you can uh, change your major area of study so easily. But my first loves were horticulture and ethnobotany. So, uh, I took a lot of botany and ecology courses as an undergrad, and and then when I went to grad school to study anthropology, I really wanted to study, you know, ethnobotany. Um, but navigating interdisciplinarity proved a little bit difficult. I did my graduate work at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, and. Um, they have a lot of interdisciplinary research centers, especially now, but when you're kind of straddling two programs, you have two sets of expectations, and it was quite difficult for me to um, kind of articulate a, a good project that satisfied both the botanists and the anthropologists that I was working with. So. Um, So I was studying those uh, those things. And I I was also in grad school married and navigating uh, married life with also a son and thinking about, you know, how I was going to do field research, um, you know, with a family in tow. And um, so... kind of that kind of got me a little bit away from my first loves there and i was taking a medical anthropology course and reading a lot about brazil my um, ex-husband is brazilian and um and that you know and i i read about this dramatic uh fertility decline in Brazil, um, over you know from the 1960s to the 1980s, and and the fact that female surgical sterilization was one of the predominant ways of fertility control, and so I ended up studying that. So that's how I got to reproductive women's reproductive health. Um, and so I lived in Brazil for quite a while and did long-term field work there. Um, so. So that's kind of, you know, like I so I kind of feel like now being in food anthropology is a return and a way to something because I loved economic botany and ethnobotany and especially, um, you know, food plants and and. Um, uh, medicinal plants and so um, by the time I was an associate professor here at Illinois State. Um, you know, I was post-tenure. I wasn't interested in that line of research in reproductive health anymore. And um, and I was teaching a lot in my program. We uh, had a pretty heavy teaching load as um, a visiting and then an assistant professor. And as you mentioned, I took students to Brazil in ethnographic field schools. So my publications were on a lot of um, pedagogical you know topics and um, I was involved in the local food movement in my community you know I'm here in the middle of the U.S. corn belt um but 10 or 15 years ago very little of the food produced in this very rich agricultural land here was actually food for people it's all commodity corn and commodity soybeans and that goes mostly for feed and fuel and other things so um you know, we I was reading about food studies and in anthropology it had, you know, really grew in the last, say, 20 years, um, and there was so I started kind of dipping my toes into that literature and um, co-authored a chapter on the anthropology of food with a senior colleague here, uh, Dr. Robert Dirks. And then I got interested in food as cultural heritage and, and uh, wrote a little bit about that in Brazil. So that's kind of like my circuitous route from just you know, anthropology in Brazil and women's health all the way kind of in a way a homecoming for me back to food anthropology.
1: Mm, very interesting journey. Yeah. <laughs> um, your, your And your book, Gina, is published as part of uh, Reaction Book's Edible series. And for those listeners who may not be familiar with Edible series, it's a series that uh, focuses on the global history and culture of one type of food or one type of beverage in each of its volumes. And uh, your book, Gina, is on edible insects. So I was wondering, how did this research and the consequent book come about and why edible insects, of all things?
0: Well, I am uh, not an entomologist, and um, so this isn't something I had studied before or thought about writing about, really, but um, I like the Edible series. I had um, seen, read several volumes before. I think the first one I read was Bruce Craig's volume on the hot dog, (laughs) and um, I was... I was actually on sabbatical for other work, and I got a list in my email of you know upcoming um, volumes coming out of the series. And as I looked at that list, I noticed that many of the titles were staple foods or common foods in the wet in Western cuisines and the in Western diets. And I thought about all the foods that were staples in other parts of the world that might be interesting to read about. Um, I thought in particular, given my experience in Brazil, I thought of cassava or manioc, uh, which is a really, you know, just common prevalent food there and um, and a staple food. And and I'm not even quite sure why, but insects came to mind um, as something that would be interesting to... Um, to read about, and I think before that, maybe even I, I did have an interest. I, I've been interested in, um, you know, like disgust, just where disgust comes from, and that, and so you know, the idea of eating insects is disgusting to many people, and so that I was, um, you know, that kind of fascinated me about the topic, and so you know, I. I wrote to Andy Smith the, the editor of the series and I just said you know I think this would be a good topic and he was interested and said well do you want to write it send a send a proposal and so I I said well wow okay yeah I maybe I will and so it took me several years but then you know to actually write it in part because I, you know, I balanced that with other research projects I was doing and a lot of admin work at the university and teaching and also because insects are hard. It, I had to learn a lot just um, just in general about insects in order to um, begin to write this book.
1: Hmm. Um, um... I mean, you, you have now learned a lot about insects, as, as you were saying, so could you tell us what is an insect or perhaps what is not an insect? Uh, I know I know you, you said that you're not an entomologist and I don't want to get into you know deep uh, taxonomy discussion here, but what is an insect and more importantly, are all insects edible?
0: Uh, that's a good question. Um... Well, first, for insects, I do talk about things that in, you know, that we might call bugs in, you know, in general, we say bugs and, and we mean all kinds of things that are not technically speaking, um, or taxonomically speaking insects, but, um, you know, insects are well, first, I guess we could just say they're, they're arthropods, they're invertebrates. And when mature, they, you know, they, invertebrates mean they wear their skeletons on the outside. They're called exoskeletons. And that exoskeleton, the hard exterior is made of chitin, which is a fiber that's actually hard for most people to digest. Um, so a lot of insects are eaten when they are immature as eggs or pupa or larvae but um so insects are animals and they're um you know they're the dominant form of life on earth there's over a million known species and and scientists don't know how many millions of yet to be identified species that are out there so i you know i try i I liked it. I'm kind of afraid of spiders. I've gotten less of fearful of bugs, but I always like to say, "Well, I don't have to get used to spiders or like them because they're not technically insects." So I say, "Oh, I wrote about it and I'm a I'm a specialist in edible insects here, but I don't have to like the spiders <laughs> or some of the other creepy crawly things we call bugs." But most of the books that talk about edible insects will also talk about um, just the general category. Of of bugs or you know um, even crustaceans and other things that people will kind of classify in that same group. I tried to limit it mostly to insects. Mm.
1: And where did this um, insect eating, eating begin? I mean, is it a recent thing or is it something that we've been doing for a long time?
0: Oh well, yeah, we uh, humans have been eating insects. Probably it's as old as humanity. Uh, we don't have a lot of direct archaeological evidence because it's hard to find um, and has often been overlooked. But we have cave paintings of of people harvesting honey and and. And I think when we think of honey, we think of that as a product, and certainly um, that's maybe the most popular um, insect byproduct that we we have, but um, that's edible anyway. But the bee brood, that is the nest itself, is also edible and is eaten by people. So we have um, cave paintings in several places of the world that are tens of thousands of years old representing um, honey and bee hunting, and then you know, representations of locust eating in the Middle East. And, and, and so we have lots of evidence and then archeological evidence, direct ele- uh, evidence in like coprolites, the fossilized feces of, um, you know, insect parts. And, and we have those direct for thousands of years ago, you know, dated to thousands of years ago. And so I think, well, we even know that our um, primate relatives will eat insects like chimpanzees that you know will actually devise tools and to to fish out say termites from a log and that they eat them so i think that it is very much a part of our um you know it's a part of our our humanity and maybe part of our animality (laughs) actually Mm -hmm. to eat insects
1: Hmm. But why do we but, eat insects um, anyway? I mean, is it the nutritiousness? Is it the take? Is it the availability? Is it the affordability? I mean, what is it that makes us or have made us in the past uh, to eat insects? And I don't know uh, the answer to this question depends on the when and the where, but just a general overview that you in your research, at least for this book, have come to learn.
0: Well, you know, one answer, well, you had asked me earlier, you know, how many are, are all Insects edible, and I would say probably not, but we really don't know how many are um, because that's very difficult to know. You know, I think people probably ate insects because they were there and they were hungry, and some insects um we think of them sometimes as these little things, right? For the most part, small and compared to other conventional meat, you know, mammals and that they're, you know, and since are very small, but swarming in insects appear in vast numbers at times. And so you can collect a lot of insects um, in a short period of time. So, you know, I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, and it, it, there's, it's um, just from, a a long history of of making great use, as people always did, of the environment that they're in and all of the things that the environment have offered, that insects would be a part of that. So, yes, they're very nutritious. They're like other meats. Um, So they contain lots of protein and fat. It's hard to say anything absolutely general about insects, you know, (laughs) but but there are other you know they're like other animals, and depending on their the life cycle stage and that they' they can be very uh, have a lot of protein and a lot of fat, so they're they're comparable to other meats um so yeah, so I think people i mean w- I think there's evidence and f- there's evidence certainly from all over the world of people eating insects, but um more in the tropics than in temperate areas, and that's probably just because there's more insects in the tropics and, you know, more um, more opportunities to find a good one, a good bug.
1: Mm. And um, I want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier, Gina. Um, I mean, when, when we mentioned the idea of eating insects, uh, one of the first things that people usually say is that, oh, that's disgusting. And that, idea of disgust has been being uh, explored in especially in anthropology for a long time now I mean how disgust is culturally evolved how it is socially constructed the role it plays or has played in dining norms within different groups of people and all that uh, now could you talk a little bit about the notion of disgust within the context of uh, insect eating
0: yeah. Yeah, I think if you were to ask most Americans, you know, you know, if you ask them why they or you know, what they think about eating insects, they react with, you know, disgust or, you know, and, and they believe that it is, um, of that this visceral rejection must be natural, right? So, and as we, as anthropologists, we know that, you know, we always question that, but, um paul rosen is probably the scholar most associated with the study of disgust and its various forms there are different he's classified different kinds of disgust but um you know part of the association of disgust with insects is that you know some say that you know well insects can be associated with disease so if we avoid insects it's in part, perhaps due to a fear of pathogens, um, some associate insects with. Um, I mean, insects are part of. They they do this really important ecological service for us, uh, which is helping with um, decomposition. So. Insects decompose, um, you know, vegetable and other matter, and so um, that association with decay and death and decomposition might be seen as some as a origin of disgust. But as you said, most you know that none of that really holds up if you look cross culturally, and you know, like most food habits and preferences, it's cultural and. So how that evolved, uh, that in the West, predominantly, we find insects kind of generally, um, with very few exceptions, that we find insects um, disgusting is a really complicated um Uh, You know, historical question, because we do have evidence of, say, the Romans, you know, eating certain kinds of of insects and, and, you know, in in history, and we find some evidence of peasants and others and, and there are isolated the what's the sardinian cheese i mentioned it in the book that's you know has a kind of maggot in it that is a specialty although i like to say that um kazoo oh, Kazumarzu, i think that's the name i'm not sure how you pronounce it but um and i think that people you know they think of that as just a specialty and they certainly wouldn't think of themselves as insect eaters it's just that particular dish and that's you know probably the world over people eat a particular bug and maybe prepared a particular way or at a particular life stage and not you know never think of themselves as insect eaters but um so but so our broad dismissal of most insects is a little bit unusual and i think that you know there's a lot of things that might account for that in the west um some of the proposal some of the things i talk about in the book are the fact that there's simply in say in europe there were fewer species available so um and with agriculture um and climate changes, there may have, you know, what once would have been an abundant food source might have become at a later period less likely. And by the time you have um, a lot of colonization, this insect eating, which wasn't very common in Europe, it, when they that becomes associated with the other and with primitive so-called primitive peoples right and um and it comes to be seen as primitive and because of that many people um even in the colonized world then associate that with backwardness and and a desire to not be seen as backward or primitive and wanting to modernize and so there's a whole bunch of reasons why maybe you know people who once ate insects don't anymore and it's it's not i think a resolved question But I don't know. I think I got off track and probably didn't fully answer your question. No, you definitely
1: (laughs) did. And I want to follow up on something uh, really important that you mentioned there. Uh, I imagine there must be some ethical dilemmas associated with uh, insect eating too, right? I mean, you you mentioned like ecological uh, reasoning. I I mean, arguments both for and against eating insects. What are they?
0: Uh, Yeah. Um, Well, it depends. I suppose if you are a strict... A vegan, um, then you may not want to eat insects. I mean, there's a question about how sentient insects are, but, um, you know, they are animals. And so those who are strict vegans just would maybe choose not to um, for that reason of not wanting to eat uh, living things. Um, Of course, we eat insects all the time without knowing it, but, you know, that's not the intentional um, consumption of them. But uh, usually, the the kind of the reason the for you know the argument for an increasing um, consumption of insects today in the West is that um, it's good for the environment, and so it's seen as an, uh, an a positive uh, you know ethical food choice for being for having a a diet that is. Um, Earth friendly and certainly raising crickets for cricket pr- protein powder is far more sustainable than our conventional meat sources, especially if we think of like beef, which is, you know, the the perhaps the worst environmental offender. But, um, you know, so it, crickets can be produced with far less arable land and water use and feed. And so you can get, you know, far much, uh, much more protein out of that than, you um, than other uh, conventional meats. But, you know, they're not a free lunch either because they require feed inputs themselves and the quality of the feed depends you know, determines the quality of the, you know, the nutrition that the crickets will will offer. So, you know, I always, when people ask me, oh, should we be eating more bugs? I say, well, you know, and yes, if you're going to have, I mean, part of the problem right now is that most of the insect foods we find on the market are snacks, you know, so it's not, they're just an addition to our diets rather than a replacement for something less ecologically um sustainable. But so I tell students and others when they ask that if you want that the ecologically sustainable diet is plant-based, at least for most places and most people in the world. So so that's one, that's another um that's the main and that was really one of my inspirations for writing the book is that when I started uh looking into insects um as foods, I, you know, I just saw a lot of a lot of, um, a little bit of hype, especially around the new market for food and commercial food out, you know, a lot of eating insects will save the world, you know, basically. Um, And I, and, you know, my, I was very skeptical and had to look into that. And so while I think that, you know, farming insects is potentially a, a, a great way to diversify a smallholders, our, um, you know, farm income, you know, if there's a place to, and, and, you know, so there, there could be some uses for it for that. But most of the large, we, we increasingly see these huge, huge um, Indoor, you know, robotic, uh, environmentally, you know, just uh, climate controlled, uh, you know, huge plants that are really factory farming of insects. And, you know, a lot of that goes for feed, not for human food. And a lot of it goes to and even that for human consumption is still often going for like I said, those snack bars and Chirps chips and and other snacky things rather than to kind of feed the world, so to speak. So, so I think that that, you know, that was one of the points I wanted to make, uh, in the book. And then I suppose another problem is that, you know, not all insects are, I mean, most insects eaten worldwide are, you know, harvested, not farmed, uh. And so they're wild harvested or or maybe semi-cultivated you know where people facilitate um the collection of insects uh or facil- i mean facilitate plantings that will encourage insects and that and in those places i'm thinking of like the mopani worms in um southern africa and zimbabwe um they're a caterpillar actually that um f- feed on mopani trees and a increasing demand for that in urban centers has led to over-harvesting of, and damage of Mopani trees. And so there's some worries about, you know, whether or not promoting wild collected edible insects can actually be, cause some problems with um, over-harvesting and and be an environmental decline. So I think there's, you know, those are some of the kind of ethical and um, kind of, you know, dilemmas associated with you know becoming an insectivore
1: and um at the end of the book you also include some recipes featuring insects that that's my favorite part of the book actually where did these recipes come from is is there a story behind them or behind how you found or chose them
0: oh they were hard they were really hard to come up with because yeah these um you know the the edible series, all of them have insects at the end, recipes at the end. So, you know, it was part of writing this book that I was going to find recipes. And, you know, many insects that you encounter, you know, in markets day. So I went to Oaxaca in uh, Mexico, and I actually... To, when I was researching this book, to be in a place where insects are still very commonly found on, you know, in the market and on menus. And so I had some really delicious, a whole variety of insects prepared in different ways. But often if you go, so for example, in Thailand and you go to big um, street street food markets and even actually in Oaxaca, you'll see the large markets full of um, chapulines, the grasshoppers that are eaten. Um, and, you know, these... Insects are just prepared very simply. They're just fried, um, you know, so they'll be collected and then boiled or roasted or fried and you just eat them like that. And so there's, that's not very interesting in terms of a, you know, Epicurean interest in, you know, or even really knowing, you know, like interesting recipes. But, um, but, but I think that that is not necessarily indicative of uh, the potential Uh, Of the and how people might have traditionally prepared them. Um, And Uh, is josh evans Joshua evans at the nordic food lab um, and a team there have written uh, a lot about the taste profile of bugs and and went around the world for their i think the film is called bugs and or eat a bug and it's um really wonderful view of the different ways in which people around the world prepare different kinds of insects so i you know i i draw a little bit from the nordic food lab and their research. Um, I looked for historical accounts of, uh, the different ways that, um, insects were prepared and, and then, you know, there are, um, the, Proponents of insect eating today um, have often are experimenting with different kinds of recipes for home raised bugs like mealworms and, and crickets and other things. And so I was looking at, uh, I included a few of those. So, you know, one of the things, you know, I think it's what's fascinating is that you have all these, a lot of insects that are just kind of collected and roasted and, and eaten or pounded into a powder and preserved. But then you have other examples like giant water bug essence, which is, I think, my one of the first recipes I have in there, which involves harvesting just little, two little small glands the size of a rice grain, you know, from male water bugs to get the liquid inside. Uh, and a few drops of that is is used to flavor pickle sauces. I mean, and this is in, in Vietnamese cuisine. And so it's like, you have to wonder how did anybody ever discover that, right? <laughs> how did they find that? And so, um, so I just included various examples and I tried to you know, present a diversity of um, food, things like for flavoring or as, uh, you know, as uh, some simple preparations and then some that are more complicated. I obviously was not able to test all of these. So it's not a kitchen tested uh, cookbook, I would say, in part because it's very difficult to get good insects in the market I mean you could get you I could get some freeze dried and I did I ordered all these different bugs they come to you kind of just dried and and you know something that's a probably would be eaten as a fresh uh, grub which is very fatty and rich and could be something like cracklings or whatever if it were prepared fresh if you order it in male order it comes to you as like kind of a dried prune it's really just not the same yeah. so
1: <laughs> yes yeah. that, that was actually my next question that you know have you tried any of your uh, of these recipes which you've uh, already uh, answered but are, are you and um, this is a personal question so please feel free to forego it but uh, are you an um, insect eating individual?
0: yeah like intentionally (laughs) absolutely um i i It was, it's very, first for the book, I, you know, if I I had some residual resistance myself from my, of course, from my upbringing and I, and some bugs would probably still be very difficult for me to eat, but I sought out places. Like I said, I went to Oaxaca just to try different kinds of insect foods. And I, um, I went to a conference on edible insects and where there was an exhibitors fair and other people who were sharing insect food and I've tried them um, and so whenever I travel I look for opportunities to try insects um, I raise my own mealworms um, and uh, have eaten those and I've harvested um, June bugs from my yard and and eaten those so I have uh, yeah I so yeah you know, it's not that it's something I will regularly do and I certainly wouldn't say that it's my main protein source by any means but but I but I'm curious about insects and uh and their various tastes and so it's kind of like other foods it's it's worth trying exactly uh
1: to wrap up the interview gina i'd like to ask whether you're working on something right now or are you thinking about doing a research on a particular topic in a near future not necessarily food related any project
0: Oh yeah, well, I am actually. I have um, just completing part of a um, of a project on the slow food movement that started in Italy and then spread around the world. Um, it's a global, very large global movement now, and um, a political scientist and I, who's a colleague here at. Um, at Illinois State we've been uh, researching the slow food movement for the and doing interviews with a lot of um, leaders uh, international leaders and counselors from around the world about changes within that movement and how um, you know efforts to make it an inclusive or truly um, a truly global and solidarity movement with um, small scale producers, um, peasant communities and uh, indigenous peoples around the world. And so um, so we've been studying that and are, are wrapping up an article right now uh, that's kind of phase one of that project. And then, so I'm not sure where that's gonna take us but um, but I'm interested in, in future research on slow food uh, in other parts of the world and slow food Brazil, for example and uh, continuing a little bit of, of work that my current research has um, uncovered. So. That's my, that's basically my current, my current research.
1: Like a very interesting project and very important too. I can't wait to read it whenever it comes out. Do, do we know when it is coming out? I know this is a no, really difficult yeah, cool question to, to ask i researcher.
0: I'm, literally hoping to submit the article tomorrow (laughs) so it is not even submitted yet we've presented on it a number of times but but not uh not submitted it for publication so it is just now going out Uh, we found ourselves i mean we we went to the big event of slow food in turin italy which is called terra madre and we did that in 2018 that was last one and then COVID hit, and you know we continued interviews on Zoom. And um, but like everybody else, you know it you know del- sent us in scrambling as teachers and administrators, and uh, so a lot of things kind of had to be put on hold for a little yeah. while.
1: Mm, yeah, I can. Um relate to that um thank you so much gina for uh coming on the show and speaking with me today and sharing your insight and your wonderful work with our listeners i really enjoyed uh reading the book it was a really uh interesting topic and uh, and very well written but i enjoyed it even more to uh talk about it with you so thank you very much
0: well it has been a pleasure talking to you and um and i I'm just delighted to be here and talk a little bit more about this book and this topic. I think uh, we have a, you know, we have a lot to learn from people who traditionally ate insects and um, and who continue to eat insects. And so I like to spread the word wherever I can.
1: Thank you very much, Gina. Have a good evening.
0: Thank you, Amir.